Welcome to the AccuSmile Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. So perfection is a story you tell yourself much like the story that you will not be rejected if you are perfect. You could tell yourself you are just learning. You could tell yourself and your inner child that life is long and you don't have to get it all in this moment. You could tell yourself that this life is built in layers, like a watercolor painting, that it's okay for people to watch you build it. You might even inspire other people. 
that it's okay to believe in a higher power. And when life feels scary and full and you are having trouble finding your center, that it's okay to get quiet and just ask for the next step. Hey, Aki Sprouts. Welcome back to the show. Today is a Mindset Monday episode, and we're going to be talking about how to manage your perfectionism. Oh, boy. <laughs> so um, I was on a call a couple weeks ago. I was on a call with two different new practitioners, um, and there is a common theme between both of them. Uh, but one of them specifically asked me, can you, can you talk about how to navigate the next step without caring so much about what everybody else thinks about what he's doing. And everybody else actually meant fellow classmates. And this makes me sad, but also like, hmm, I totally understand. I really understand this because I wanted to do this podcast for an entire year before I ever started it. And I was so afraid of what my fellow classmates would think about me doing a podcast. There's actually a Dr. Seuss quote about this, and it is, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. So it's just not that easy though, is it? It's just not that easy. It's not that easy for a multitude of reasons. And um, the second person that I spoke with was a classmate of mine who has had many, many challenges in starting her practice. And I spoke with her about what was next and what she was doing next and offering some help and thoughts and uh, wisdom, if I have that. <laughs> and um, uh, But... Once again, one of that the stopping factors is this um, n- inability to leap the chasm between caring what uh, matters most to you or finding what matters most to you and not caring what other people think um, and having the confidence to do such a thing. And so today I'm going to be talking about that quite extensively. We're going to talk a little bit about the root of perfectionism. And we're going to get real about that because the root is, is, uh, you know, the root is important. (laughs) It's our medicine. So what is the root of this perfectionism? And can you be perfectionist and still create a peaceful, successful, happy life? Uh, And what does that look like? So I'm going to cover that. We're going to go a little bit into the root of perfectionism. And then I'm going to give you eight tools to embrace your perfection as an entrepreneur. And then I want to talk a little bit about what I've done because so many times you guys comment on um, how I seem to be a real person. (laughs) And so I want to share my thoughts of how to overcome this, the ways that I have done it, and how to create a practice that isn't perfect, but it's whole. Because I think that's the answer. I don't think that you create a practice that's perfect. I don't think that you need to look perfect in front of your peers. I think you need to focus on a practice that's whole. But I want to just pause for a second, because this is sort of a silly thought, but it's so important. If, if the world were perfect, there would never have been 
a Big Bang Theory TV show that lasted so long. That was so amazing. That show was literally based on everybody's imperfections and how they managed to live and have relationships and have uh, uh, super successful careers and how awkward they were in some places, yet genius in others. And I promise you, if you embrace who you are, instead of trying to be perfect, you too could be Sheldon Cooper. (laughs) But before I continue, I want you to know that I hear you and I see you because I am you. And I can make light of being a perfectionist and talk about how uninterested people really are about what you're doing, because truthfully, people really are uninterested, and that it's fine, and that you matter, and that you are unique and perfect in all of your imperfections. But that doesn't really get us to the root of the problem, does it? Because the root of the problem started a long ass time ago. I want to bring some light to some things that you may not have considered. Hopefully, many of you are aware of this, but if you aren't, then I hope this helps. So I know why I'm a perfectionist or why I have perfectionistic tendencies. I know that my tendencies come from childhood abuse and neglect. I know that that created a cascade of trying to be perfect so that I could be loved, trying to be perfect so that I could manage the emotions in the room, trying to be perfect so that mm, so that somebody would love me, trying to be perfect so that, um, so that, so that, so that, so that as a defense mechanism. Like for me, it has always been a, a skill to manage my social situations because I still am challenged by social situations. Um, I hide it well. I I shapeshift really well. And I also really, I mean, it's not like I don't enjoy my life. I enjoy my life. It's just that I'm highly uncomfortable in a lot of situations because of adverse childhood events that I'm always trying to manage some level of anxiety or um, some level of overload, uh, some level of low self-esteem. But I will tell you this, I have been working on this for many, many years, and it is much, 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 much better. Uh, Obviously, I'm doing a podcast where people can judge me all they want all day long. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this for a second. Um, And I'm quoting this. I'm I'm actually pulling this from a website that had way better verbiage than I could possibly create for you. So um, this comes from a website called CaminoRecovery.com. And it's one of their blogs. And um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about adverse childhood events and perfectionism. So the common root of perfectionism, uh, perfectionism is especially prevalent in those of us who have experienced childhood trauma, particularly if a child's parents or caregivers withheld love or affection. And in many cases, people exposed to prolonged trauma often use perfectionism as a coping mechanism. And I did this and I do this and I, I, um, I'm aware of it. So I'm always working on it. But even when I was in school, 
Uh, it was really hard for me to be in classrooms with that many people all the time. I was always overloaded. And one of my coping mechanisms was to hold myself up and study myself to death, <laughs> which I think um, Cher, uh, uh, many of us did. So um, studies show that perfectionism might also be a defense mechanism that trauma survivors use to protect themselves against the agony of being perceived as a failure or being wrong. I can also comment to that because when I was in school, I hid behind every extrovert in the classroom so that if we were in a group, I didn't have to talk or I could talk in the group, but I didn't have to be the spokesperson or that I didn't have to be wrong in front of the whole class. That, that has always been a huge fear of mine. It doesn't make sense, but that's part of the trauma. That's part of the, the abuse. Traumatic experiences can negatively alter an individual's self-perception, often leading to self-judgment and, the ju- and honestly, truthfully too, the judgment of others, as well as social isolation, stress, anxiety, and negative self-talk. And I think that if you're listening still, <laughs> then you're understanding this and you're kind of seeing this in yourself too. Like um, we sort of use perfectionism as a shield and we often judge others and it may be very silently, harshly and immensely. And that's something that I want to bring to your attention, too, as as a perfectionist, pay attention to how you self think or pay attention to how you think about others. If somebody walks by, do you mentally criticize their shoes or the way they walk or anything about them? Because when you do that to other people, you're probably doing that to yourself a hundred times over. And so it's it's one of those things that you have to shift uh, in order to love yourself more uh, because you can't you can't have judgment about other people rhetoric like that in your head and not have it about yourself so one of the best ways to start changing that process at least it has been for me and the reason I did that was because that just is a great way to isolate and keep people away from me and keep me away from them because then I couldn't get hurt or then I could never disappoint somebody right um but changing that is, is really uh, one of the things you have to do is really start talking to yourself kindly and catching the times that you catch yourself not talking to yourself kindly and practicing what I call gentle medicine, soft, slow medicine, which is meditation. And But we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But anyway, uh, think about how, how you perceive other people because that's often a reflection of how you perceive yourself. Often... If they think they can do everything right, then maybe the child won't get blamed for everything else in the future. Perfectionism and perfectionistic traits are learned behaviors, meaning that children who grew up with driven, goal-oriented parents or caregivers who excessively praised children for achievements rather than for any progress or efforts are likely to model this behavior themselves. So if you didn't have quote, adverse childhood events growing up, but you still have this tendency to be a perfectionist, take a look at this possibility. Because I see this in a couple of my friends as well, whose parents were doctors um, or high-achieving lawyers or just super achievers who excelling and getting straight A's and doing all of the things, being an all-star athlete, all of the things combined, all of these things, a musician, all of these lessons, everything just 
created while their parents were trying to give them everything that quote they didn't have or you know just the best life sometimes that driven culture that culture of just being so great at everything was just created that perfectionistic voice in in your head perhaps since perfectionism is essentially the result of a person trying to live up to unrealistic expectations and internal ideals, such responses are often motivated by fear, uncertainty, low self-esteem, and excessive worry over how others perceive them. The above can cause intense anxiety, disparagement, and difficulty coping with the symptoms. So again, I think I feel like I've thrown myself into this enough for me to say to you that if any of that resonated with you, I hear you, I see you, I care, I feel for you. Um, there are lots of ways to um, start the healing process around this. You just graduated from a place where it's acceptable and actually probably the norm to super achieve, to get straight A's, to jump through the hoops, to try to be impressive, to fit into the, the whatever social norm. Um, it's now time to continue to do great work but you need to do great work at a speed where you're accomplishing what you want to accomplish in layers. It's a different process. This process of building this next stage of your life is a completely different process than studying and getting straight A's and studying and getting straight A's. The process now is more like painting a watercolor picture. You do a very light drawing in pencil. And then, because then you know where you're going to go next, right? And then you come in with your first layer of colors. And they're just light, and they're barely there, and it's sort of imperceivable. But it's as if, if it's okay for other people to watch you do this. Because that first layer is not perfect, the next layer is not perfect. Nothing looks perfect until the end, and that can take a long time. So don't let perfection... What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is progress over perfection, but I'm going to get into that in a minute. I just want to say one last thing before I move on from talking about the root of perfectionism. One of the best books that I've read um, about this is is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, and that'll be in the show notes. And it just starts talking about the polyvagal theory and how trauma can affect our lives. But also, it gives hope in showing us ways, even just through breathing exercises, that we can activate the vagus nerve to get through this attitude of perfectionism and adverse childhood events or the results or the outcome currently that we're living with of adverse childhood events. So I highly encourage you to check that book out and start your healing journey. Now that we know the root, let's take a look at the branches. Because the the whole thing, the, the whole truth is, you're going to have to work on the root of this challenge, right? You're going to have to do some healing. But you still have to move forward and and build this next stage of your life. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever wherever you want to go next, um, I have six tips with how to embrace imperfection as an entrepreneur. So number one, you actually have to show up and try things that are out of your comfort zone. There is no way around this. 
There is absolutely no way around this. I am sure that going to work for somebody is probably a little uncomfortable. Starting to practice acupuncture is uncomfortable or practicing our medicine is uncomfortable because you're, you're new. There are going to be so many things that are uncomfortable. So I just want to say, eventually it won't be. Remember that. Remember that. Eventually you'll find your groove. But do understand that discomfort is part of this next process. So number two, embrace the suck. I'm not kidding. You are not going to be good at most of the things that you are trying because you are still learning. And this is mostly focused on starting a new practice and all of the things that come along with starting a new practice, if that's your choice. Um, I mean, you may have to build a website, start social media, do some networking, get out there and do a lot of things that are outside of your comfort zone. And this goes to this this conversation I had with this this person, he was afraid. He's ready to start his practice, but he was afraid about what people would think. And I think that what that looked like was what people will think about him starting a practice, what people will think about them, like what his classmates are going to think about his website. And I just say embrace the suck. Honestly, embrace it. You're Like I said before, this this goes down in layers. And you just keep working at all of these things. But if you don't ever start, you will never, ever get there. You have to start. Number three, laugh at yourself. <laughs> laugh at yourself for a quick second, like kind of like whoops, and then move on. Make the choice to celebrate the badass who is showing up and giving it a shot. Honestly, laugh at yourself. I learned this from one of my friends. She never really had poor self-esteem like I have had in the past. And I remember watching her make a silly, silly mistake once. And I would have just, I just crawled under the table and cried if I would have made this mistake. And she just giggled two giggles and then moved on. And I was like, oh, I want that. Right? So mimic, mimic good, healthy behaviors. So yeah laugh at yourself. Who cares? We all make mistakes. Move forward. Just keep moving. Number four, exactly that. Progress over perfection. Done is better than perfect. This is a leap from being in a culture where straight A's are celebrated. Um, Honestly, yeah, back to that. Now you need to focus on getting things done, laying down a foundation, and then going back and fixing things up when you have the resources and the time to go back. But you just have to keep, you just have to start laying that foundation and moving forward. Number five, comparison is the thief of happiness. Pay attention to who and what you surround yourself with. Um, if, if seeing your classmates on social media triggers you, then unfriend them on social media. Don't look at it. There's no point in comparing. You have no idea what's going on in other people's lives. None at all. And the truth is, if somebody's on social media a ton it's either because they're not booked and they're trying to get booked and they're doing a bang up job of making their practice look beautiful and perfect, but they're on social media, so they're not booked or they're really, truly that damn booked and they've hired a social media manager. So kudos to them. But chances are, if it's a pract- practitioner in the first couple of years out they're they're not booked if they're on social media. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I think social media is a great place to get um, some eyes on your practice. So I'm saying that's a good place to be. But if it makes you feel small that they're on social media and they're doing a killer job on social media and their practice looks amazing, don't. you need to unfriend them and not feel small. 
And the last thing you need to ask about this is if you're if you're being triggered by something like that, if you're comparing yourself to other people, ask this question. Is this the truth? This perception that you have about what's going on over there, is that the truth? Because the tr- the truth is you don't know. Number 6. If you <laughs> Yeah, here we go. Number six, if you didn't win the parent lottery, or maybe you did win the parent lottery, but your internal foundational dialogue is self-recrimination and not that of an encouraging adult. In other words, your self-talk sucks. You need to do some work there. Slow down, meditate, catch yourself in the process, create an internal dialogue, starting with how you would talk to a child or someone else who is in the same situation. That goes back to getting help again. I like this quote from Brene Brown. Perfectionism is not about healthy achievement and growth. It's a shield. Perfectionism is a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us, when, in fact, it's the thing that's really preventing us from being seen and taking flight. Worthiness doesn't have prerequisites. And so... I've thought a lot about this, and I've worked on my own challenges around this a lot. And I've decided that it's in my better interest, well, in creating my medical practice and in creating my podcast and in creating anything that I want in my life anymore, whether it's a relationship or a new house or (laughs) um, my body even, right? Even talking about my own body. What I really want now, because perfectionism feels like it's disempowering and painful, what I want now is to be whole. And what I'm striving for now is to be whole. And what I want to create as far as a medical practice is a whole practice, And so in doing that, I've had to define what a whole practice might look like. And I have some thoughts and suggestions for you. And those are, number one, surround yourself with people who support you and inspire you, online or off. That's it. Read things that inspire you. Feel inspiration. Because if you feel inspiration, then you will act inspired. And when you act from inspiration, you inspire others. Number two, I, you know, I'm going to go back to this. I always do. Number two, choose a population, choose a target practice member, choose your favorite patient type, choose your target patient who you can serve with your talents or who brings you joy to be around. You're creating your space. You're creating your business. Don't create it out of fear. Create your business out of joy, out of people you enjoy being around. If you're not sure who that is yet, those traits can come. It doesn't have to be That doesn't have to be, quote, orthopedic or sports medicine or women's health. That can be, I want to treat country people. (laughs) I have a friend who, 
Um, I have a friend who, who lives outside of Portland and was raised in the country and, uh, she started a practice, but she started it, um, in a place that had a lot of population and she really never enjoyed her practice. It never inspired her. Uh, and she, she did figure out who she liked to treat. And once she did this and she just, she didn't really like where she was either. Like all of these things, nothing felt great to her and her practice didn't take off. It can't, nothing can thrive that isn't being fed with love. Like you can't build a practice in a space that you hate so anyway, she, her practice didn't thrive. And recently she had an opportunity to open, open a practice in a small rural country town. Um, there are no other acupuncturists around. And she came to me with this idea of, I can't even remember what it was, the name of her practice. It was something like Thrive. And and I said, well, who who are you treating? And she was like, well, I want to treat people who live in the rural people like farmers and ranchers and I want them to come. And I was like, well, then why are you calling it lift and thrive? Like, wouldn't it be better? Like, what does that look like? They're going to come in in dirty boots and they're going to come in with super sore muscles and they're going to come in with hay and smelling like horses. And, you know, like, what does your practice look like? Like what your the inside of your practice is not going to be a salon spa type situation. She was like, Oh no, I want it to, I think it would be cool if it looked like a farmhouse. And I was like, well then call it farmhouse acupuncture or something along those lines and make it cozy. And Oh my gosh, how much fun is it going to be to decorate that? And then two people are going to feel so seen and heard when they come in, they're going to love it. You're going to have a boot jack and you're going to have, you know, like it's going to be so cool. Like your decor will be amazing. Like so much fun. And she jumped in and got really excited and inspired so when you choose this population, oh, a qu real quick too, another another person I found out uh, that I've been helping uh, knows American Sign Language. And I was like, well, who else does know? Who, what other acupuncturist do you know that knows sign language? None. Well, use that. That's amazing. You can help that population so much target them, go talk to them, find out ways to get, you know, community connected in that community. So hopefully those ideas inspire you a little bit, because I know so many of you are turned off when I say, choose your niche, choose your population, figure out who you want to treat. Okay. Number three, create rules around what you do in the form of a mission and a vision statement so that you have a guiding beacon and aren't led astray by things that feel bright and shiny in the moment, but are not in alignment with your vision. That sounds big and that sounds hard. The more I get to know myself, the more I get to know who I am and what I'm about and what I'm doing, I know that I am a person who helps the helper. I'm a person who supports people who goes out and supports other people. And I've always been that way. I like second place. I don't want to be in first place. Like, I want to drive this ag vehicle for my cyclist friends. I don't want to race. I want to support people. I know that's my, that's my vision uh, is to always be in alignment with helping the helpers, much like Jane, or supporting the supporters. How can I help you so that you can go help more people?
that's me. So what is your vision? And it can evolve. I know this always you guys get all like, I'm not doing that. I want to take the time. It can evolve. So start somewhere. Just start somewhere. And then go back and listen to my um, podcast on the difference between a vision and, vision and a mission statement. Number four, this is pretty drastic, but it, it's helpful. Number four, unfollow, unfriend. Don't spend time looking at or interacting with anyone or anything that disparages who you are or what your vision is, or just plain makes you feel bad about yourself. Even, even if you feel bad about yourself because it's your low self-esteem talking when you see those things, even if, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to look at what other people are doing in order to do great. You don't have to look at what other people are doing in order for you to do great. I do this. I am not going to lie about that. Like I make sure that I go through, well, let me just preface this. This can be a phase thing easily. Like you eventually you'll build up the confidence and the muscle and it won't matter because you're doing your own thing anyway. And you don't really care about what other people are doing or saying or thinking. And so once you get to that point, but in the beginning, uh, when you're trying to do something and you don't, and you feel a little bit insecure because you will, we all do. If you keep getting triggered and tripped up and you feel like it's, it's, um, it's making you stuck, follow your classmates. Unfriend, or I don't know, I, I didn't unfriend people, but I went on Facebook and shut down so many people so that I couldn't see what was going on because it triggered me. And that's okay. I could probably look at a lot of it now and I don't care. I don't even care anymore, right? Um, but there are, even in my life right now, there are certain situations that I just have turned off because it's too much. I can't deal with it. It makes me feel bad about myself and I just don't care. I don't want to feel that way. So I turned it off. Number five, pay attention to your emotions. Your emotions are really guiding. So pay attention to your emotions. Get healthy with your perceptions and strive to understand them. And then learn what parts of you need to be healed. We all need to spend time healing. Nobody has had a perfect life. Pay attention to your emotions. Number six, and this leads into jealousy. I love jealousy. I have learned to love jealousy. I was jealous a lot when I was younger. Um, And what I learned was, especially when I started paying attention to what my emotions were telling me, you know, fear means stop. Anger means shut up. <laughs> you know, like certain emotions mean certain things. Sadness means what just triggered me, you know? Emotions mean a lot. Pay attention. Pay attention to when they shift, especially if you're coming from childhood abuse or uh, adverse events and you're pretty empathic. Anytime there's a really fast shift in your emotions, often it's not you. Somebody just walked into the room. But anyway... <laughs> I digress. Jealousy. Oh my gosh. So jealousy is often a really helpful emotion. Jealousy just means that you want something that you don't have, or you want to be somewhere that you aren't. I find that jealousy is like a beacon for me. It gives me intel about where I really want to go. It's often the first step in my journeys. If I feel jealous about something, 
I note the emotion. And then I start doing research to gain intel about what it would take to get there. And do I really want to spend the time and do the work? And what does it really mean to be, have, or do that thing? So I really do some research about it and then decide if I want to spend the energy to get there. And then I also envision myself there because when you get there, are you really going to enjoy it when you finally make it there? So, but jealousy has often led me down paths of exactly where I need to go. So pay attention to jealousy. Number seven, meditate, qigong or tai chi or yoga. This is truly the path of least resistance to being at peace with yourself. I spent so much time in the 90s during the self-help culture trying to fix myself. And here's a spoiler alert. Meditation is far less painful. Couple, couple that with some perhaps somatic healing or EMDR and heal your nervous system and connect with the Tao. Like that, that is big. That is not just 50% big. I say that's like 70 to 80% big. This is life-changing. And I think most of us know this who went to school where we had to participate in Tai Chi or Qigong, but it's really, it's really important to your healing. And lastly, number eight, this I feel like, and I, and I, and I should have teed this up in the beginning, but this I feel like is step one. What small lever needs to be activated in your life that will then create a cascade of positive change? Um, and, and one of the ways you can find this is to kind of ask yourself what has worked in the past because you've lost it in medical school. There's no time for life-changing levers. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, daily exercise is the catalyst of all goodness in my life. Uh, when I exercise, I eat healthier. I drink less alcohol. I meet other healthy people and build a community around that. I go to bed earlier and I get enough sleep. I like myself. I am more motivated and excited about life. I feel more mentally sharp and creative. I meet other active people who end up coming to see me when they need to in my practice. My business grows. I make a sustainable living. I meet people who want to support me and see me grow. I inspire other people to lead healthy lives. And I read more, I have more confidence. It's, it's actually a good place to learn how to be imperfect. When I was much younger, I did, in fact, use this as a way to perfection, to look perfect. So people would like me. It was my flawed way of thinking that I would not be rejected by anyone. But I found Interestingly enough, through working out, what I found was that the joy was in showing up and seeing the progress of being consistent. The friendships were amazing. The side product, me, was just juicier human being. Even the people I met who looked perfect were not perfect. It actually just showed me that. And really, we are really on our own path. We each have our own toolkit, our own zone of genius, our own genetic code. There is no perfect, just a better version of you. So perfection is a story you tell yourself, much like the story that you will not be rejected if you are perfect. You could tell yourself you are just learning. You could tell yourself and your inner child that life is long and you don't have to get it all in this moment. 
you could tell yourself that this life is built in layers, like a watercolor painting, that it's okay for people to watch you build it. You might even inspire other people, that it's okay to believe in a higher power. And when life feels scary and full and you are having trouble finding your center, that it's okay to get quiet and just ask for the next step. That's all you really need in times like that, the next step. So take your time, ask yourself what you need in the moment, be interoceptive and exteroceptive. Many of us who are inclined to chase perfection have a little bit of a drama streak laced in our DNA, a space where love might feel like sarcasm or success only comes with pain or lots of money only happens to them. I've found that when I let go of all of my stories, which are often riddled with some level of dysfunctional programming, <laughs> and focus on the exercise and the process and maintaining steady progress that honestly feels satisfying and boring at the same time, I get there. It happens. People show up. Money shows up. Friends connect me with people who will facilitate the growth of my business. New opportunities for fun manifest. And instead of the dramatic climb to the first place podium with the anthem and the cheering, instead of the exaltation and the celebration and then jumping up and down of, I did it, I usually just think, huh, well, of course, that wasn't such a big deal. Sort of like slipping into a hot tub kind of nice, like a relaxing light bulb moment of, huh, wow. This way is so much more calm and kind and graceful. Hmm. Imagine that. I can have a peaceful moment of success that fills me with calm happiness. That can be my story. So let me recap. That story started with finding the lever. That by turning that lever every day, and even when I didn't feel like it, was going to instigate change. Change is uncomfortable. And awkward at first, but you turn the lever and things come together. I created a vision of what I wanted, who I wanted to be, and who I wanted to come with me, and also who and what I didn't want. And I turned off everything that I did not want and knew what it looked like when it showed up to play. I stopped looking over my shoulder to see who was watching, and I stopped watching other people if I felt smaller or disempowered by looking. Sometimes you need to shut all of that out so you can build your business muscles. It's not forever, but it doesn't feel good to waste your energy watching. Focus on you, only slowly becoming whole. Success doesn't look like perfectionism. This is no longer the story. Success looks like a Bob Ross succession of layers of focus in one direction with happy little mistakes along the way. The process looks a little boring and feels mostly calm, trusting that you know the answers and you only need to focus on the next step. It's stretching into new stories of success and relationships and, and self that include a self-nurturing voice and agenda. It's doing the work of interoception and exteroception so that you can choose or be led by your own higher power to create a new way so that when you get there, you will literally take a deep, calm breath and say, huh, of course. That's it. 
that's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it. Thank you.